So verse 24. Now the men of Israel were hard-pressed that day, for Saul had made the army agree to an oath. Cursed be the man who eats food before evening. I will get my vengeance on my enemies, so no one in the army ate anything. They are chasing the Philistines down for an entire day while they're carrying some kind of a farm tool, probably as their weapons, sticks or whatever, armor, shields. They're chasing them down. And Saul says, no one is allowed to eat anything until I eliminate the enemy completely. That's dumb. That's like saying, you're going to run this triathlon all day and you're not allowed to drink anything until it's done. He makes a vow, a very rash vow, which reminds you of Jephthah. Not thinking, just makes a vow. And he's going to exhaust his army, put them at the brink of death, and he's going to set them up for weakness. Because when you're hungry and physically worn out like that, you're totally set up for temptation. You're totally set up for temptation. All because, he says, until I get my vengeance. Not, this is about obedience to God, glorification to God. This is not delivering the people that I have been put as head over to hell. My vengeance. And that since he sounds like Samson. Now this time I have right to get vengeance. And he puts them under the vow. Now the whole army entered the forest and there was honey on the ground. Now, the logic to this, if there is any, is that, remember in the ancient world, you just can't like go to the grocery store and grab like some canned fruit or go to the fast food drive-thru. You have to like kill the animals. You have to Build a, here at the cut file of firewood, many of us have probably done that. You've got to go out in the woods, find firewood, gather it all together. You have to build a fire, which takes time. And most fires are not good for cooking because you have to let them burn down until they become coals. And that's what you can cook on. And then if you make bread, you have to grind it all up and you have meat. You have to kill the animal and clean it and that kind of stuff. It takes a long time. But at the same time, they did have fast foods in the ancient world, fast food restaurants. And you're going to see it here. There's honey. Honey is raw honey. You can just scoop it up and eat it, and it will give you lots of energy. Not that you can live on honey your entire life, but it will be very good. There's berries and fruits in the forest and that kind of stuff. A lot of them might have packed something, and they've just been sitting around doing nothing for the last 15 years. I'm sure they've been doing a lot of eating. So he could have just said no, like, meal preparation. But if you see food, grab it. Eat it. There could be even people who would be willing to offer it to them as they're moving three and liberating them from the Philistines. But to, just, to go to the extreme of from like, okay, I can understand not spending the entire day making a meal, but then nobody's allowed to even eat the ancient world of the fast food at all. That's, that's ridiculous. So the army entered the forest and they saw the honey flowing, but no one ate of it. That's even worse. It's like sitting right there in front of you and you can't eat it. For the army was afraid of the oath. But Jonathan had not heard about the oath his father had made and the army to take him. He extended the end of his staff that was in his hand, dipped in the honeycomb, and when he ate it, his eyes were brightened up. That's a way of saying like energy was restored to his body, not like his eyes began to glow because it's magic honey. <laughs> then someone from the army informed him that your father put an army under a strict oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food today. That is why the army is tired. Then Jonathan said, My father's caused trouble for the land. See how my eyes have gleamed when I tasted just a little of this honey? Now Jonathan is not happy with his dad. 
He calls him a troubler of the nation. Certainly, if the army had eaten some of the enemy's provisions that they came across today, would they not slaughter the Israelites been even greater? Now, that's interesting because Jonathan is now saying, we've attacked and killed a lot of Philistines. We've destroyed a lot of camps. We could have at least eaten the food that was already there and prepped. There's been lots of opportunities to eat without hindering our progress against the enemy. In fact, don't you think we would have actually been more victorious if we weren't exhausted and tired? This is not logical. But remember, we know that already because Saul's a ding-dong. On that day, the army struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ahijalon, and there they became tired. So the army rushed greedily on the plunder, confiscating the sheep and cattle and calves, and they slaughtered them right on the ground, and the army ate them blood and all. The army is so desperate, they're literally just ripping into these cattle, so to speak, and just eating the meat without cooking it. That's hunger. But now what have they done? They've sinned. They violated the Noahic covenant of eating meat with blood still in it. And not to mention the health risks that are in here, which they would not understand why that's unhealthy, but they would know it's unhealthy because they've probably seen people do it and things not go well. You don't need to know the scientific reason for why. You just need to watch people eat raw meat and get sick. But they're not thinking because when you're hungry like that, like that, there's not a whole lot of logic going on there. And not only that, they even set up an altar, a battle altar. Remember, you're not allowed to just kill animals without some kind of ritual, ceremony, dedication to God, that kind of stuff. This isn't an animal sacrifice for sins, which is only allowed to happen in the tabernacle. But even though you're allowed to kill animals to eat them outside the tabernacle, there still had to be some kind of ritual involved. And it had to be set up an altar that was required by God. In fact, Deuteronomy clearly lays out the laws for a battle altar to kill animals for eating in the midst of battle. Now it was reported to Saul, look, the army is sinning against Yahweh by eating the blood. He said, all of you have broken the covenant. Roll a large stone over here to me. And then Saul said, scatter out among the army and say to them, each of you bring to me your ox or sheep and slaughter them in this spot and eat. But don't sin against Yahweh by eating the blood. So that night each one brought his ox and slaughtered it there, and Saul built an altar for Yahweh. It was the first time he had built an altar for Yahweh. All of a sudden, now he's concerned about sinning against God? This is the first time he's ever built an altar to God. And the whole reason they're doing this is because he set them up. Now, it is not his fault that they're sinning. They're responsible for their own choices. But it is his fault for setting them up and putting them in a corner where they would be tempted and weakening them to their ability to resist temptation. Because remember, this isn't just like he set them up. He is their king, and disobeying the king is punishable by death. So that's a very difficult choice to make. Do I eat meat and die, or do I not eat meat and risk starving to death and being exhausted and that kind of stuff? Saul said, let's go down after the Philistines at night, and we will rout them until the break of day. We won't leave any of them alive. They replied, do whatever seems best to you. But the priest said, let's approach God here. So now it's the priest saying, hey, shouldn't we talk to God? I mean, come on. We've just sinned against God by eating meat with blood in it. The men are totally exhausted and tired. 
and you want to go keep attacking the enemy, and we haven't even talked to God once the entire time. And this is coming from a descendant of the house of Eli. So Saul asked God, should I go down from the Philist- to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer them that day. God didn't answer him. Saul's not right with God. Then Saul said, all you leaders of the army, come here, find out how this sin occurred today. For surely as Yahweh, the deliverer of Israel, lives, even if it turns out to be my own son, Jonathan, he will certainly die. But no one from the army said anything. So he makes a second vow now, and he swears that whoever broke his vow, even if it's his own son, he's going to kill him. Now, who does that remind you of? Jephthah. He said, I will sacrifice as a burnt offering the first thing comes on my door. And lo and behold, it was his daughter. Who even makes a vow like that? Even if you're stupid in the moment and not thinking, like, who thinks, like, even if it's my own kid, I'm going to kill him. But this is a vow that you cannot take back. So they said all Israel will be on one side, and my son Jonathan will be on the other side. And the army replied to Saul, do whatever you think best. Then Saul said, O Yahweh, God of Israel, the sin has been committed by me or by my son Jonathan. O Yahweh, God of Israel, responded with Urim, but this, but if, if this is a sin committed by the people of Israel, respond with the Thuman. Now remember, these are prescribed by God. God gave the priests two stones, and the stones were a way that God communicated to them. And so he says, if it's the people's sin, then respond this way. If it's me or Jonathan's sin, then respond this way. Then Jonathan and Saul were indicated by lot while the army was exonerated. Then Saul said, cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was indicated by lot. Now here's what's interesting. All of a sudden it changes to lot. And remember, nothing good happens when people go to the lot. Did he say the the Urim and the Thummim? And then he switched to Lot? Or is God calling the Urim and the Thummim Lot because they're not using it in the right way because they have an illegitimate priest? Either way, the narrator is specifically going out of its way to say this thing may not be being used by God. Or if it is being used by God, which it seems it is because it's saying something, it could be total chance or it could be God. But what's interesting is, did God answer him when he prayed to him and sought him out? Through the priest. No. So why in the world do we think now that God would also begin to answer him through the priest this way? Because what has Saul failed to do in all this? Why would God not be answering him? He's not repenting of anything. There's no sacrifice of atonement. There's no repentance. There's no prayer. He's just rubbing the priesthood's vest and hoping God will begin to talk like a magic genie. But that's not how God works. And we've seen that multiple times in judges and stuff. God doesn't usually respond until there is repentance and sacrifice, sacrificial atonement. And he's not doing any of that. So he's talking about the Urim and the Thummim, which is prescribed by God, but it's being handled by a priest that God has disqualified. It's being through the same priest that God didn't talk to him earlier. And all of a sudden the narrator is using the word lot, which is not the word that the, that the Mosaic law called it. And one begins to wonder, is God actually even speaking to them, or is this just chance of rolling the dice? Either way, it indicates Jonathan. So is God using it to indicate Jonathan, or is the dice just getting coincidentally lucky? Now, it's not dice, it's just lack of a better word. 
So Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. Jonathan told him, I used the end of the staff that was in my hand to taste a little honey. Must I now die? Saul said, God will punish me severely if Jonathan doesn't die. Now he's committed to it. I'm going to kill you, Jonathan. And may God punish me if I don't kill my own son. But the army said to Saul, Should Jonathan, who won this great victory in Israel, die? May it never be. As surely as Yahweh lives, not a single hair in his head will fall to the ground. For it is with the help of God that he has acted today. So the army rescued Jonathan from death. That's huge. You know what that's called? Treason. Mutiny. Why? They're like, no, 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 no. We're not going to kill Jonathan. The only reason that we've had victory in the last 15 to 20 years is because of Jonathan. And if you look around yourself today, this isn't the amazingness of Jonathan. It is so clear that God has been using him. How can he be sinful and executed if God has been using him? Notice that his soldiers are thinking more clearly than he is. Once again, remember this servant who understood things better than Saul? The girls understood things better than Saul. Now his men understand things better than Saul. And Jonathan relents. Or sorry, Saul relents. Now he is king, and he could kill them all. But he doesn't, because remember, he's afraid. He's outnumbered. But here's one thing he's just realized. He's probably just lost the respect of his men. And he just realized that they recognize that God is working through Jonathan and not him. The question is, why did the lot single Jonathan? Was he really truly supposed to die? I mean, God does take vows seriously, and they are punishable by death for breaking them, in that sense that Jonathan is under the law and should be punished. But in another sense, is is God an unrealistic God that holds you to vows that you don't even know about? At the other sense, the, the, the Urim and the Thurim did take Jonathan, and that is ordained by God, but at the same time, once again, we talked about the fact that it's called Lot, which is a real word, weird word for that. Nothing ever is good when lots are done. But God did use the Lot with Achan when they did it that way. And the question is, did Jonathan actually sin and God was saying he should be killed? That might give, when it says that they rescued Jonathan that day, the Hebrew word there is redeemed. As in they made a sacrifice or paid a fee to the tabernacle to redeem Jonathan back from death, which God did allow things like that. Not for murder or rape or anything, those kind of, but for breaking of vows and that kind of stuff. Or could it be that God is just singling out, he's asking, he's answering Saul's question. Most likely, God is not singling Jonathan as a sinner who should die. Most likely, God is answering the question that Saul has asked. Who broke the vow? And God says, Jonathan. And that's it. Just like when Israel, back in the book of Judges, said, Who should lead us into a battle against Benjamin? And God said, Judah. But God did not give them victory, and he was not supporting Israel because Israel wasn't asking the right question. God was answering the question, but that doesn't mean God was saying, he sinned. We don't know exactly. Do scholars debate both ways of whether there's a legitimate thing Jonathan should be paid, punished for. But either way, all of this is completely illogical. The, the feeling you should get is this is a total mess. The, the men are being abused 
of lack of nutrition and pushed way too hard into battle. They're set up for temptation. Saul's making irrational, illogical vows. He's willing to kill his own son for his own stupid vows. He's not consulting God. When he finally consults God, it's for his own purposes, not for God's will. When he finally attacks the enemies for his own vengeance, not obedience to God or deliver the people. And you just get a sense that this guy has no idea what he's really doing. And he's completely ruled by his emotions and completely ruled by the moment. And he's leading the chosen people of God. But remember, this is God's king because this is judgment. This is exactly what the people wanted. Because here's the most important thing that you must understand about a king like all the other nations. We talked about this a while ago. A king like all the nations is the king who is corrupt like all the nations. That's the point that Samuel emphasized. But the other thing that a king is like the all the other nations like is a king who never ever consults Yahweh. A king who always makes every decision on his own or with the advice and wisdom of humans. That's all of our presidents, practically. Listen, it is hard enough to raise three girls and run a house without consulting and praying to God. I can't tell you how much prayer I do with three girls now. Okay? If there's anything that exposes your ineptness, it's having kids. Can you imagine being Obama or Trump or Bush and running an entire nation and never once having prayer or going to God for anything? That's all on your own wisdom and the wisdom of your advisors. All of which, who do you know who you can actually trust because everybody seems power hungry in Washington, D.C.? But that is the most miserable part of all this, is that a king like all the other nations is someone who's doing it without God and doing it in their own wisdom and their own strength and never consulting God. And that's exactly what Saul is doing. And this is going to be the greater punishment for Israel than anything else, is that Yahweh is no longer guiding them and leading them in any kind of a way. Well in a direct way through the prophet. So Saul stopped chasing the Philistines, and they went back home. And after Saul had secured his royal position over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on the sides, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. In every direction they had turned, he was victorious. And he fought bravely, striking down the Amalekites and delivering Israel from the hands of the enemies. And this point is probably by far the most confusing paragraph I've ever read in the entire Bible. <laughs> Not once is Saul ever shown as being victorious against anything except for the Ammonites. Everything in his entire life up to this point and after this point shows just utter lack of encouragement and total defeat. And yet then the narrator gives his summary of these people he has defeated. Now notice one of the things that might be going on here is notice that most of the enemies are the external ones. Where Saul had no problem defeating the external enemy because they were in somebody else's territory. And they weren't the technologically advanced people that they are. But there is one case where it says the Philistines too. But remember, most likely his defeats of the Philistines are a result of his son Jonathan. But here's what's interesting. 
the narrator is going to begin to summarize his life. Here's all of his great victories and battles. Moving on. The sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua. He had two daughters. The older one was named Merib, and the younger was named Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinom, the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the general in command of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, and Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and near the father of Abner, the son of Abiel. There was a fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. So whenever Saul saw anyone who was a warrior or a brave individual, he would conscript him. He just summarizes his life like Saul's life is over with. Why? Remember with Samson, we get to the end of Samson and him of defeating the Philistines. And then it says Samson ruled over Israel for 40 years. And the, that was it, the end. But their whole Samson Delilah story is still yet to come. Yet the narrator ended his life exactly the same way he lists every judge, except that he left out one thing, and Samson died. Because the whole story of Samson Delilah is how Samson died. The narrator just summarized Saul's life up, as in the end. But there's still more to Saul, because the rest of it is Saul's dying. And the point the narrator wants you to know is Saul, this is pretty much Saul's life. In the very next chapter, Saul is going to be disqualified as king. And it's pretty much the end of his reign. But it also sets you up because it says whenever Saul saw somebody who was a great warrior, he conscripted him. And that's now setting you up for David and how David's going to end up in Saul's army. 